Welcome to the TechMap Podcast, where technology meets marketing, advertising, and PR. In this week's show, we have Tim Barker, the Chief Product Officer from DataSift, talking all about big data and social data. I hope you enjoy the show. Tim, good morning. Welcome to the TechMap Podcast. How are you today? Good morning, Andy. I'm very good. Yeah, it looks like summer has exited the building right now. But apart from that, it's uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, the the rain has definitely returned for me this morning as well. So, uh, yeah, perhaps we are at the end of our summer season here in the UK. Tim, obviously, you spoke at our TechMap event in London. Must be about four weeks, six weeks ago. I forget exactly now. Mm. When we looked at the topic of big data and whether we thought big data was the holy grail for marketeers, and and you came along and talked about Facebook topics data and how we as a community can now start to use that as a way to gain insights but I'd really like to if, if I may just kick off with a question around big data because obviously it's a, a topic that's been on our lips as a marketing community for quite a while now but I just wanted to get a sense from you because you're you're you know deep in the trenches of data is you know are we using data and the volumes of data to its greatest capacity are we taking advantage of what we have available to us as a marketing community i'll guess i'll I'll start the with the perhaps the obvious answer which is um clearly not i guess you know when we look at any marketer that that i've spoken to or or probably any marketer listen to this over the last year two three years the amount of available data has increased exponentially whether that be internal data um, or external or social or mobile and anyone kind of observing this market will have seen the number of product companies technology companies and startups that are focused on this segment of either ad tech or martech has just ballooned luma partners do an annual review of that of the ecosystem and it's grown from i don't know probably tens of players over a few years to over 900 or 1000 and so that's because maybe two things. One is that there is a massive growth in uh, available data. And two is that it takes a lot of work to turn that into an output that is valuable to a marketer, because ultimately, we want to be directed by data, not drowning in it. And so um, big data, I would say, is something that probably many marketers are using indirectly, as opposed to working directly on Hadoop and doing MapReduce jobs and and working with R, those kinds of things. It it seems to be an area where we need to do a a more focused uh, simplification and um, and really productization to bring it to value to marketers. Do do you think then that what's available in the marketplace now is still out of reach to many of many marketers who have grown up in the age of being more creative than data driven in terms of their decision making? What you're starting to see now is if you rewind three three years ago, you know Hadoop and was the technology du jour, and I think what you saw there was very few CMOS and CTOS really able to work at that technology depth. Certainly there were some large organizations, whether it be in the entertainment industry or the publishing industry, they invested in big data by the bucket load there, uh, and they're reaping benefits from it. But what, what you've tended to see now is it's startups um, and the technology behemoths, the marketing clouds, where they're really trying to bake big data into the platform. Um, and you, But you start to see this perhaps not in the branding of big data, but you tend to see it now in the branding of things like predictive analytics 
or machine learning, you know, as, as parts of a core marketing service to help you identify propensity to buy or, you know, um, to allow you to expand um, to reach new leads. Got you. So do you think we're at the start of the journey where people now have access to the tools to use big data and they're now actually starting to use it just because it's baked into the products that they use then? I I think so. If you do a Google Trend search, you'll see that the peak of excitement around big data has perhaps slightly passed. So using that Gartner analogy, we're probably on to the slope of enlightenment or the, the downward spiral of disillusionment for a little while. But that's simply just because we now need it to be to put it into the hands of marketers. We we need to productize a little bit more. Um, and so so yeah, I think it's the technology enthusiasm is now shifting to cre- value creation, which is great for marketers because you want to spend your time focused on how you can apply this technology to a to a marketing problem. Absolutely. And one of the things that we've seen over the last few years is that more and more so we need to use data as a way to make intelligent marketing decisions. But there isn't necessarily the skills out there to, to actually do that really, really well. You know, And I think we're seeing in, in the marketing community is a real catch-up required to get people who have been around in the industry for a while to understand what they can do with data. Exactly. And you mentioned it earlier around the, the shift from almost uh, mad men, where a lot of marketing was driven by instinct and and kind of ap- and uh, enthusiasm around uh, an objective. Those, ma- those mad men are now slowly shifting to math men. You know, if you look in the broader context of marketing, companies like WPP, for example, have, have seen this shift and have made, are making massive investments to really help not, not shift entirely. We don't want this to be driven by quantitative scientists in the way that, you know, Wall Street trading is all done by algorithm. But it's a balance of emotion versus, you know, da- data informed. So I do think for this is a marketing is going through both a huge amount of change, but in some ways the, it's almost a the renaissance. The, it's almost like the area of the enlightenment. Um, <laughs> people that, if you go back to the, the renaissance, people that had a premium um, in those were people known as polymaths. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci that managed a discipline of skills from both science and arts. And in, in the similar way, they are today's data scientists or tomorrow's marketers. With that in mind, what do you think? Is there more to come? Are people, are we getting the skills that we need as an industry? And, and if so, because obviously there's the, the volume of data is showing no signs of slowing. The more and more we connect things to the internet, the more data we're collecting. So what does that future look like? Yeah, I think um, you're right that essentially, although we are, every time we think that we are just starting to master a new data source, uh, another one comes along that's even bigger. So clearly social is a huge, high potential data source. And it's probably in two or three years time going to be usurped by Internet of Things. You know, device data um, is is going to be a higher frequency and potentially um, provide new insights. Mm. Uh, I think the challenges on this are essentially um, weeding out where there is potential value to where there is actual value. And again, that may be that marketers, the, the job for them is to look at a portfolio of technologies and approaches, both 
gaining data competency in-house, but also then looking at what potential tools they can use for their unique business, whether it's B2C or B2B, you know, or whichever dimensions there are. But I do think that the kind of skills that are going to be um, future-proofed, essentially, are certainly an increase in analytics and and statistical analysis. And also, I would probably say, especially for Europe, an empathy and understanding and um, a focus on privacy. So for companies to not just race to the art of the possible, but clearly to also balance that with consumer trust um, and privacy, of course, especially in Europe. That leads very nicely into what I wanted to talk about next, which was Facebook topic data. And I know this is a topic you discussed at the TechMap meetup the other week, and I know you have a lot to say in this space, but privacy and social data, people have tended to move away from using Facebook data because it is um, it isn't publicly available, but now it is. And, and now Facebook are opening up the doors a bit to see some of that data. Tell me about the Facebook topic data area that you're working in and um, how we can start to look at this source of data to get intelligence and insight. Yeah, certainly. So uh, I guess going back to the topic we've just discussed, marketers are hungry to gain insight that will help them build better kept marketing campaigns, better creative, better products, you know, and also make sure that they are staying relevant to their to their target customers. And so uh, over the last few years, or over the last probably two years, we've been working with Facebook about how they could best bring insights into activity across Facebook, how to make that possible. Now, of course, going back to privacy, a key part of this and the key foundation with Facebook is that you get to choose, you share selectively. Not everything you post is available publicly across Facebook. So we spent a long time working with Facebook and the privacy team so that to build a model that allowed us to provide insight into activity on Facebook, but protect the identity of people on that. And essentially what it means is that you can do analysis but you're doing it at an audience level. So if you want to understand what do people think about big data technology or that what do they think about an upcoming product launch or a campaign or a topic, you can do that analysis now using Facebook topic data where you're potentially looking across millions or tens of millions of posts, comments, and likes. But you're always gaining an aggregate and anonymized view into that, which allows you to really understand the trends without identifying individuals. Okay, that's interesting. So who, who's doing this or who has done this already? And what, what sort of results have they gained from using this aggregate anonymized data? Yeah, so this initiative was announced and launched and first made available to customers around April this year. So it's still quite early in the market. But uh, if I talk about some of the use cases that are that we're seeing this being applied to, they are in some ways distinctly different from the traditional brand health type use cases. And that's because as well as providing insight into audiences in an anonymized way, because it is an aggregate and anonymized, Facebook can include detail about the audience demographics, which has always been a missing piece of the jigsaw for anyone doing analysis of social media data, because they could understand that there is a trend or there is a peak or there is a volume of activity around their brand. But they didn't know what are the audience clusters. Is it mm, is it okay. males in the UK, twenty five to thirty four, that are positive around this? So because this contains audience 
level demographics, what we're seeing this data applied to increasingly is as a replacement for primary research. So if you're really trying to understand how do audiences or how do consumers use your product, what is the context in which they, 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 they use it, or what is top of mind, what is the zeitgeist for a specific audience segment that might be relevant to your brand, then you can use this with demographics to help you gain an insight that can drive the development of a campaign or creative. What we're starting to see as companies using this further up the supply chain in marketing to replace that Don Draper-esque mm. gut feel around one which is a lot more data informed. So are you finding this is a replacement for more traditional um, qualitative and quant-based studies that you might employ in a market research agency for? We are, and that's in many ways because that market has not really been revolutionized in the same way that that other marketing um, functions has been. It still operates on a monthly cadence. You know, if you do a research project today, you're going to be doing uh, doing that for the next six weeks to 12 weeks. And so what this is giving um, companies into uh, insight into is, you know, uh, interests, opinion and behavior at a scale which, which is both economically um, beneficial, but also a lot more timely as well. If I, with traditional research, could give you uh, some insights with a 90% confidence in three months, or I could do that in three weeks with 75%. We're seeing most companies choose velocity uh, as, the, as the key thing because marketing, like every other function in a business, is being forced to be agile. So that means that they can do small-scale test campaigns based on that research and really prove out the benefits of that as opposed to having to make one massive bet. That's really interesting. And what you said a minute ago about the market research industry hasn't really evolved yet. I had this conversation with a data scientist maybe about a year ago who predicted the death of the market research industry, which seems odd given how large the sector is. But it seems as though this is another nail in the lid of their coffin almost and that they aren't adapting the, to this kind of technology and the ability to drive insights through data at, at speed and to be agile. So do you, do you think as a sector in the market research space needs to evolve, needs to learn these new um, technologies or are, or are, and are they sitting behind the curve as it were? Yeah, I, th I think they do in many ways. You look at market research at the low end, it's being replaced by DI, DI, marketing DIY research. You know, um, SurveyMonkey allows me to go and ask my existing customer base without having to uh, pull a research firm in. And, um, and it, I think it's not simply just about the, the technology around this. Clearly, um, something like Facebook topic data really provides a huge available um, corpus of data for analysis. It's also because to some degree, the response rates for traditional research are declining as well. The growth of digital natives and millennials, how many times do you see those pop-ups that ask you for to do research while you're on someone's website? How many times have you ever clicked on it? And how many times have you ever completed it accurately? So I think you're right. This is a high uh, potential industry which has, has not maybe had the opportunity in some ways to be disrupted because the data was, social data has been very hard to work with. Mm. Um, and because it's lacked things like demographics, it's always been hard to, to, to make it a robust defense of that as a mechanism. But certainly whether it's a companion to it and then a replacement for it is, is the direction of travel that we're seeing in the market.
when you're talking about that marketing DIY or research DIY, at Claxon, we're, we're not a market research agency, but we do some very simple insight stuff to help us inform our decision-making around campaigns, whether it's even at its crudest level is looking at search patterns and search trends. That helps us to set up a PPC campaign better, for example, or to establish an SEO keyword strategy. And that's very, very simple. And we couldn't have done that um, you know, five years ago without the data we have available through uh, our friends over at Google, for example. Exactly. Well, also, you can you can ask questions about behavior that you could never survey about. So when it was the uh, uh, FA Cup final uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we worked with one company that had a simple question, which was, what is the moment of peak excitement around the build-up for a day of, uh, of the FA Cup? And that would really inform them for future campaigns, what is the right moment to, to advertise on a network? And of course, there's no way that you can gain that behavioral insight from traditional market research. You simply can't ask people a week afterwards, what time of the day were you most excited about the FA Cup? That moment's passed. And, and uh, so behavioral data, in the same way that Google search insights provide behavioral data, really also opens up to allow you to ask questions that simply weren't possible before. Going back to Facebook, I suppose, it's an interesting we could talk for hours just about Facebook and it as a platform and whether it's a good media channel or what exactly it is or not. But how do you see Facebook changing and evolving? Do you find that the millennials, for example, are using Facebook or are they using different social platforms? And does that impact the ability to use Facebook as a, as a tool for gaining insights? Yeah, I think regardless of the the the, the, the micro trends, you know, the, the scale of Facebook with 1.4 billion people is... You know, still the world's largest social network. In fact, the other peers that it has, the up and other up and comers, are also Facebook properties, whether that's WhatsApp or Instagram. And so, I think what Facebook realised early, very early, was the idea that they could unbundle um, messaging from you know social networking, um, photo sharing, and and really they've got an incredible portfolio uh, of services that really tap into the use cases that that we as uh, as people want to, want to engage with when we're sharing. So I think that that's also what makes this exciting is as well as working with networks to help them and help marketers gain insight from that, it's a continual work in progress. Um, as people shift towards image-based networks increasingly, as social commerce starts to, to, to take an uptick, and then also as group messaging type services really uh, gain traction, all of these mean that you know the world of a marketer has never been more exciting and also challenging. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, each of those different networks has a, a, a different way of uh, working or providing you with data, I suppose. So from your point of view at DataSift, each time a new network becomes popular, a new platform becomes popular, I guess you have to adapt to a new way of working with a different kind of data and, and you know, being able to filter and, and analyze and create insights from that. Exactly. And and also with that, the, the language changes. So uh, it, anyone that wants to look at this, take a look at uh, Instagram engineering team did a fantastic blog um, a few weeks ago that spoke of, that really spoke about how they did some analysis of emojis and how they are being increasingly used across Instagram and what they mean as well so they did a lot of data engineering work to enable them to I guess analytically analyze different emojis to really understand their meaning so not only are the 
outputs like images, you know, increasing as part of this, but also the language of how we we share updates is also changing as well. So that, again, is both, you know, keeps us at Data City pretty busy, enabling companies to gain insight from this ever-growing, ever-changing kind of uh, massive amount of human opinion is something that, uh, that yeah, really the reason why we focus on that one slice of that entire um, ecosystem around social media. We don't do anything around publishing. We don't do anything around, um, you know, kind of other use cases. Our core is to really focus on the analysis layer. Got you. Okay. So do you, do you think that in the future that's, is that the direction that DataSift is going in? Are you going to stay focused or are you going to broaden things out and have a much um, deeper perspective? Well, primarily DataSift's proposition to the market is that we partner with social networks to help them build the ecosystem of companies, application companies that can create value for marketers from that data. So we, to some degree, act as a intermediary and we really focus on the big data technology that allows product builders or you know, CTOs within large organizations to build insights from that at scale. So, And I think our, that will always be our focus because it allows us to create an ecosystem that, you know, creates a multitude of different applications and use cases on that data from serving Wall Street at one end to the United Nations at the other. What's the sort of entry level? Is there a product here for the, 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 the SME world to start to work with DataSift to understand Facebook topic data? Or does it, is it a kind of thing that you need to have some deep pockets to start playing around with? No, I think, I think probably the best uh, advice I'd give for anyone that wants to start working with uh, Facebook topic data is start working with a company that has integrated it and productized it. Um, because as part of doing that, they provide, you know, um, easy to use applications for marketers to work with this complex data set. So two examples would be uh, in the UK, um, Pulsar, which is a company that's uh, integrated and has got social analytics products for SMEs. And in the US, Nuvi, which um, has gone down a similar path. Uh, both of those you can find on your favorite social media, uh, social networking site. They, they would be a probably really good place to start because uh, Denisif really primarily provides in technical interfaces, APIs, you know, not end applications. Got you. Okay, I know the guys at Pulsar, actually. It's Francesco Dorazio and his guys there, isn't it? So I'll include a link in the show notes for Pulsar. And the other one was Nuvi, did you say, in the US? That's right. They're US-based, um, N-U-V-I. So, Tim, if, um, if you were to leave us with some closing thoughts and recommendations, what would you say and where should we look to for more information on or big data or more specifically Facebook topic data? I think I would probably start by learning from others that have been swimming around in this world of big data for a while. So in terms of advice, I probably, ironically, for a company which is a platform company, I would probably advise don't start with a platform. That's when you want to go off-piste. Right? Best place to start is to look for standard applications or products. And so, you know, there's a there's a lot of uses for big data that are now, as I mentioned at the start, becoming productized. If you're interested in predict predictive lead scoring, you're interested in um, take, using social for predictive, apply machine learning so you can go deeper than looking at sentiment analysis into intent analysis. So I'd probably look, for, look at... Uh, 
some of the bigger problems that are your out of the possible if you could solve for X, Y, Z? And you would be amazed at the at the explosion of marketing technology companies that are there. So I think probably testing test and target, if you like, try a few of these things out to really help you learn um, by people that have baked some of this data into products is probably a good place to start. Perfect. Okay, well, that's exactly where I think we should leave it, Tim. Thanks so much for uh, taking us through an update on big data and your thoughts on Facebook topic data. Where's the best place for people to find you online? Is there a blog? Is there a Twitter handle? Where should we check you out? Yep, so best place is my Twitter handle, which is simply Tim Barker. Oh, that's nice and easy, Tim. <laughs> I got it early. Well, look, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me this morning and, of course, again for speaking at TechMap the other week. I don't know if you know, but your video of that session is available online and I'll share that in the show notes as well. So, um, Tim, thanks for supporting TechMap and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Thanks for listening to the TechMap podcast. I thought that was a really great conversation with Tim and he shared an awful lot there. So thanks, Tim. If you'd like to find out more, please check us out online. Our website is thisistechmap.com. You can find us on Twitter with the handle at thisistechmap or on meetup, meetup.com forward slash techmap.